encouragement. Would you open your Bible tonight, your precious Bible, to the book of Jonah? And uh, we're going to look in uh, chapter 3, and we have finally made it to chapter 3. And uh, we preached out of one chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. We're getting close to the end here. Um, and we really talked about the preaching, chapter 3, 1 through 4. We know that finally Jonah got there, and there was quite a detour. And uh, he graduated from Seaweed Seminary, and he was on his way, and he got where God wanted him to go. And notice what God did when he got where he wanted him to go. Look at verse 4. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now that's not a popular message. Notice verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God. And proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? I love this. And God saw their works. That they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them and he did it not. Heavenly Father, I pray you'll help us now. There's so much here in these few verses. I pray you'll help us as we expound upon them. I pray you'll help us to apply them to our life. Lord, we can expound, but if there's no application, there's no good. So Lord, we leave all this in your hand. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't really know what I can title this message other than you talking about people getting right with God. Maybe we could entitle it, What a Movement of God. I, I like the first one better. Talking about people getting right with God. It took place. And I'm going to be honest with you, uh, there wasn't much said for them to get right with God. Look at the message. It's very simple. He said, and yet 40 days and then of us shall be overthrown. Jonah's message was not a popular message. It was a message of warning, a message of judgment, but it was a message of truth. And he told the Ninevites, if you don't get straight, God's going to overthrow you. He's going to judge you. And you know what's amazing? They believed it. (laughs) What a movement of God. Talking about people getting right. Now, I want to look at this. Pastor Scripture and and, and I want to ask, let's go back to another person in the Old Testament because I think this is a, a good question that we ought to ponder. Job once asked in the book of Job, verse nine or chapter 9, verse 2, how should man be just with God? How can a man be right with God? How can a man be right? And you know what? He again pondered that same thought again in Job chapter 25. And he said, how then can man be justified 
with God? Or how can he be clean that is born of woman? That's a good question. Or how can he be clean that is born of woman? Behold, even to the moon and its shineth not. Yea, the stars are not pure in his sight. How much less man that is a worm and the son of man which is a worm. You know what? The Apostle Paul really addressed the same question in the book of Romans chapter 7 when he gave that great display or that great exposition on how nasty of a sinner he was. And talked about how the things that he wanted to do he didn't do and the things that he didn't want to do is what he did because he said, I know that the law is spiritual but I know that in me dwells no good thing. So here's the great dilemma. We're all nasty sinners. How can we get right with God? How can these evil Ninevites get right with their God? Well, I want you to know the same answer that is answered for the Ninevites is the same answer for us and the same answer for every human being through all of time and eternity. Our only hope of finding forgiveness from God is through the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know something we understand. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans, therefore being justified, what? By faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So man, you talk about a group of people that got right with God, they got clean. What a movement of God. What took place? Number one, y'all ready? Faith. Very simple faith. I love verse... Five, so the people of Nineveh, how did it start? Believed God. Believed God. They believed this message. By the way, it wasn't a message that was going to build a church. It certainly wouldn't build a church today. People don't like to be warned. People don't like to be told, look, if you don't stop doing what you're doing, you go run your life, or God's going to judge you. That's not a popular message then, nor is it more of, it's definitely not a popular message now. You're not going to win a popularity contest in the pastoral fellowship if you preach messages like that. But here's what's amazing to me. They didn't have much. He just told them, look, God's going to overthrow your city. And they believed. That's convicting to me. Now, listen to me. Uh, the people of Nineveh believed God. Unlike religion, unlike ceremony, unlike good works, unlike some gimmicks that a lot of religions trying to push today. Look, Faith, there is nothing like, and there's no other way than putting faith and our trust in an almighty God. Can I say faith is believing in the invisible. Faith is expecting the incredible. Faith is seeing the impossible. And by the way, and while it's not always easy to believe God without it, the Bible tells us this, it's impossible to please him. Can I ask y'all a question tonight? Y'all like pleasing people you love? How many of y'all like pleasing people you love? That's what marriage ought to be. Y'all want to please the people you love. That's what relationships is about. Y'all to get happy to see someone else pleased. How many of you know somebody you love? You love to see when they get pleased. Would you raise your hand? That's true love. Now the Bible says if we're going to please the Lord, what is it going to be? It's going to be we have to trust him. 
He said it's impossible to please him without faith. And so we understand that this great movement of God, these people that were affected and let God work in their heart, their first beginning process of that great work was faith. So can I say faith? It's the first thing we see here. They believe God. Let me just say this. There's an obligation of faith. These, these people in Nineveh would have never really truly got right with God if faith would not have been present in their lives. If they would have not have believed, there would have never been anything else happen in this city. So we know there was an obligation of faith. Faith, listen to me, for us in God is not an option. Now we live like that. We've learned how in this century of of the Christian church, we've learned how to play the Christian con job. We've learned to talk spiritual and maybe even look spiritual, but we're not living by faith like we should. I want you to know something. It's not an option. It doesn't mean that God says that it's required of a man to be found faithful. And also we know that to be able to please God, He doesn't say that you got to trust me in the dark nights and when everything's going okay, you're not supposed to trust me. No, it's obligated. If we're going to please the Lord, we have to believe Him. There's an obligation of faith. By the way, salvation comes through no other means. For by grace are you saved through what? Works? Through your church membership? Through bat- No, through faith. It's obligated. There's no other way for a great move of God. There's no way for you to get saved. There's no way for us to please God without faith. Now here's my question tonight. Where's your faith? Where's my faith? Hey, the Apostle Paul, he probably had attempted and accomplished more for God as any human being on the planet, on all of nature, all of history. And I thought it very interesting in the book of Philippians. Here's what he said. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith. It's obligated. Look, this great move of God never took place. Listen, if Jonah wouldn't, if even Jonah would have gotten vomited out by that great fish, if he would have made it to Nineveh and he preached, and these people in Nineveh would have never believed God in the story. The faith was obligated. The faith had to come. And by the way, if we're going to get truly right where we need to be at a great work in our lives and in our community, in our church, and in our life, we've got to have faith. We've got to believe God. There's no doubt about it. As Christians, we understand clearly that salvation is through faith alone. How many of y'all believe salvation is through faith alone? (laughs) So why is it that we have so much trouble to live by faith? Ouch! You say, oh, Pastor, I'm telling you right now, I live by faith. Do you now? Do you live by faith in every circumstance? How about some of you dear precious ladies that's about ready to have a nervous breakdown as soon as you can find time to have it? You living by faith? 
worrying about everything and rowing the boat and all you're doing is going around in circles. No, there has to come a time with even with things you don't have control of, you're going to have to actually put your money where your mouth is and you're going to have to start believing God and quit trying to do it yourself. Ouch, got quiet right there. You ladies still love me? I guess not. Not a one of you said a beep. But it's true nonetheless. How much peace we often forfeit? How much pain we normally bear all because we what? We won't go to the Lord in faith. We're not trusting. Oh, we know what's all I tell you right now, preacher. I'm trusting the Lord. And you get home and my soul, anything but trust is happening. It's, it's, listen to me, church. It's an obligation. We, we're not to live this Christian life. We're going to be right with the Lord if we're going to let Him move in our lives. It's not going to be by sight. It's not going to add up. We have to trust God. We have an obligation of faith. So there's the first thought of faith. Number two, there's an object of faith. And I think this is even more important. To some degree, every human being exercises faith. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans that God's given every man a measure of faith. Many people have faith in themselves. We have faith in our own talents. We have faith in maybe our jobs. We have faith in our government, which I think we're foolish if we do that. Some of us might say, well, I have faith in my job. Well, you ought to be thankful that you have a job, but your, your whole bank of happiness better not be on your job because it could be lost tomorrow. We put a lot of confidence, a lot of faith. And by the way, the people of Nineveh, this is not some little ramshack city. These are the most powerful people of the then known world. This king was the most powerful king known to man at that time. So there was no doubt there was a lot of arrogance. There was a lot of cockiness. So no doubt they probably was trusting in themselves. They was probably trusting in their armies and their wealth and their might. But the Bible says this, no matter what they were trusting in, I'm going to tell you after Jonah showed up, I'm going to tell you who they were trusting. They were trusting in the God Almighty. He became the object of their faith because the Bible says they believed God. So where's our faith tonight? I want you to think about it. The believer must remind himself daily that we cannot live the Christian life without a reliance on faith in God. And I want y'all to, I hope you've come to that, that, that realization in your life. You're not able to live the Christian life without reliance of trusting the Lord. The Bible says what? He's the vine, we're the branches. We must abide in Him. So we understand the object of our faith is the same object of the faith of the Ninevites. They believe God. Do you believe God? Every promise in the book is mine. I heard one of them old timey preachers, I can't remember who they were, and said there's more line that goes on in church when we sing hymns. Trust and obey for there's no other way. To be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Are we? 
Just as I am without one plea. Are we? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I wonder, have we ever sung that song and we're not being thankful for the blood of Jesus that's been shed for us? We've got to believe God. Look, our human nature wants us to proudly claim our achievements. We're not. Can I say the Bible tells us sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. The Ninevites realized this, and it's high time that Christians realize it. Our sufficiency is of the Lord. We need to believe him. Faith. Number two, fast. Now, I'm going to be honest. I've read this book over and over and over and over and over and over. I had to read it in Bible college. I've read it many times through the ministry. I've preached out of it. I noticed something as I've studied for this message that I've never noticed. The Bible says here, and he proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, notice this, I've never noticed this, even to, the be, even to the least of them. And then if you keep going there, verse 7, the Bible says, uh, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Wait a minute. There was a fast, not only the people, but there was a fast the animals couldn't even eat. I've never noticed that. I've read that many times. I never noticed it. Now, here, let me just say, let me, let me explain it this way. There's something powerful that shows with this fasting, not only from the greatest to the least and even to the animals. When a person denies himself of the most basic necessity, which the most basic necessity is water, liquid, and food, you cannot live without both of them. They are the most basic need of man. And by the way, we've heard horror stories of how people that have locked both, what awful atrocities they have done to other people to stay alive. So when these people believed God that they were getting ready to be overthrown, I'm going to tell you how serious, how serious they took what God told them. They stopped very basic needs. To get serious about this thing of God getting ready to judge them. I mean, this is serious stuff. The psalmist said this, I humbled my soul with fasting. That's what the Ninevites did. They humbled their soul. And I'm going to be honest with you, church. I don't see much of this going on in our ranks. What is repentance, by the way? This fasting, usually fasting was accompanied by sorrowful self-denial. God's attention is arrested. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, that will not despise. I'm telling you right now, they got serious, boy. They got serious. Amazingly, in this passage, it's not the only the king and the people who fast here, but even the animals were denied food and water. Now think about that. 
Now, I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful God hears and answers the prayer of just one individual. I want y'all to know tonight, He hears your prayers. I'm thankful for that. I'm glad He does wonderful, amazing works with just the prayer of one individual. But there is a unique power when there is a corporate humility before God. And I want you to know something. The whole city had it. You know what? I got a little quote here. Universal commitment results in unbelievable changes. The whole city was in universal in this. Having a humble spirit. Fasting. Shows their self-denial. We live in such a day now. I tell you what. You better give me mine. So we see faith, we see fasting, but I want you to notice this. I thought this was powerful. We see a forsaking here. Let me talk about repentance a minute. Biblical repentance involves more than agreeing with God. Hear me now. Repentance deals more with just believing God about our sin. Well, we can believe God about our sin and we know we sin. But listen to me, Proverbs tells us that forsaking along with confessing is necessary for God's mercy. And by the way, the Ninevites did both. Ephesians 4.22 tells us this, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Repentance is this, let the wicked forsake his way. Here in Jonah chapter 3, the people are instructed to have faith, and no doubt they called for a fast, but now, this is powerful, they're going to forsake their sin in verse 8. And by the way, that's a problem. See, here's what true repentance is. True repentance involves a change of direction. Again, remember a moment ago I said it's more than just saying, uh, oh, I believe God, I know God's right, I I know that's wrong. Well, here's the question. What are you going to do about it? Keep doing it? That's not repentance. That's not humility. (laughs) And by the way, I found out something else in this passage that really was powerful. Got the attention of God. I'm thankful there was some forsaking here. Confessing, wow, repentance is a change of direction. It's an about face. You recognize you've confessed that sin and then you forsook that sin because you realize that that sin is not hitting the mark. It's it's the very sin that God died for. We're not excusing it. We're not trying to make excuses for it. We repent of that sin. We have a change. The Bible says they forsook it. Repentance involves a change. The people here in Jonah 3, man, the Bible says they turned from their evil way. They were going one way, they were going the wrong way, and they completely turned. Now, I'm going to tell you all something right now. That's kind of simple, isn't it? If if you're going to listen to somebody's talk, that's one thing, but you need to watch their walk.
So repentance involves a change of direction. That's what the Bible says here. They were going one way and they went the other. The Bible says they forsook. Then I want you to notice this. This is what's powerful. Not only repentance involves a change of direction. In other words, you have a change of mind. You have a change of direction. But here's what's powerful. It's a change of deeds. It changes your actions. Not only does verse 8, look at it here. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. They're turning. So we see that not only here in verse, we understand they're turning from their evil way. Verse 8, they reveal that the people were to change the direction or their way. That's their actions. They were also to turn from the violence that was in their hands. That's their actions. That's what they were getting ready to do. And because they believed God, because they humbled themselves, because they fasted, they started to forsake, repented. Look, everybody in their right mind wants to change their direction from hell. Everybody in their right mind wants to change their direction from hell and, and, and get to heaven. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, anybody in their right mind, they want to forsake. If they know they're going to hell, I would think anybody in their right mind, they want to change their way and they want to go to heaven from God's judgment, what, to God's blessing. But not everyone is willing to change their lifestyle. And by the way, God will help turn us. That's not just the work we have to do. Yes, we have to make a, a decision and ask God to help us. We have to re, uh, be uh, humble and we've got to believe God and we've got to forsake. But God will help us. He will give us strength. He will enable us as we yield to Him. But I want you to understand this change of lifestyle is a must. Not for salvation. But I'm telling you, if you want to see a great movement of God, if you want to really know what repentance is, then listen to me. There's going to be a change of lifestyle. You know, the book of James talks about faith and talks about works. You know why works are so important? God sees your heart. People sees your works. See, many people today want the blessings of God while hanging on to the benefits of their sin. It's not going to happen. God help us all. By the way, we all think like this at times. Well, it's not that big of a deal. It's a big deal. Sin, sin. By the way, you change the name of it, doesn't change the consequence of it. And by the way, we live in a day now where we've got a culture and society, and I even hear Christian people talk about it now. I hear people, Christian people talking about stuff now, and I don't get ugly about it, but I, I want to help you with some things. Sometimes in our culture, little words slip in, and we, make, we, like we call certain things a disease. I want to tell you all something. Drunkenness is drunkenness. That, that's a choice, my friend. Just because my father drunk alcohol don't mean I have to. Somebody say Amen. But we live in a day now where, oh, that's some disease. No, that's not a disease. That's a choice. It's sin. God didn't create anybody a drunk. If you get saved, you've got the Spirit of God inside of your life, and He will help you to overcome that sin as we yield to the Spirit. We live in a day where we want to excuse sin. But I want to tell you something. We need to forsake sin. 
Here's what true repentance is. Y'all want to know? It's a biblical verse. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's repentance. And then lastly, I want you to notice what happened. Yes, they had faith. They fasted. They forsook. And then notice what God did. He forgave them. Here was the question. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? That's the question the Ninevites was asking. Here's God's answer. And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them and he did it not. He forgave them. Now, I'll tell y'all something tonight. We cannot demand God to do anything. Y'all hear me? We cannot demand God to do anything. But I'm going to tell you right now, when God sees true repentance and faith, there's forgiveness. Every time. Every time. That's God's way up. That's his way. That's his way for us to get up. That's his way for us. See, our way is not that way. Our way, Brother Don, we stiffen ourselves up. We got it. We think we have it. We think we've got, we've got all the answers. We're going to do it our way. God says, no, I ain't seeing you. I'm not listening to you till you get humble and realize when you start repenting and you start believing me and you start trusting me, I ain't got nothing for you. We see it right here. He was going to destroy these people. But notice what the Bible said. It didn't say he's seen his heart. It didn't say God's seen their hearts. Now we know God sees the heart. But that's not what God says here. Y'all look at it with me. It says when he's seen their works. When he's seen their actions. He knew. Now he knew their heart. But the Bible very clearly here says when he's seen. Here's what in other words. Y'all want to get the attention of God? Then do what the Ninevites did. Their works got his attention. God saw their works, the Bible says. He himself is able to read the heart of man. But the Bible is very clear. He's seen their works. God's attention is drawn to the person who is repentant and humble. You want God's attention? Make sure you put on a humble spirit. I think about all the great leaders I hear from time to time, man. I, I hear about Moody and I hear about so many of these old great saints of God and, and they were so humble. There's something to that. You want God's attention? Be like the Ninevites. Make sure you put on a humble spirit. Wow, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5, 5, For God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. So we see they got the attention of God. And then I want you to notice as I close, they got the atonement of God. God said here, these words, And God repented of the evil that he said unto them that he was going to do to them. Here's what the Bible says, And he did it not. He was going to do it. You know what? I, I'm going to be honest. Here's what amazes me. Chapter 4 is in the Bible. And you know what? Here's Y'all ready? Here's what Jonah. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was very angry. That blows my mind. He just went and preached to these people. A bunch of them got right with God. That's the only preacher I've ever known that ain't went out and bragged about it. 
Oh, you should have seen how many people taped down the aisle last night. No, y'all ready? He's mad. Y'all know why? I'm going to tell y'all why. He didn't like them. Number two, he couldn't understand why God would forgive them. And you know what? You know what? Sometimes I remind myself of Nineveh, and we do too. We sometimes look and say, I don't know why in the world God's going to forgive them. But aren't you glad he does? Because we're in that number two. You know someone said that about me sometime in the past. And I'm sure that'll be happening in the future. I'm sure someone said, I'll tell you right now, I don't know how I could have forgiven a preacher. Here's what tells me. We might not ever understood why God forgives people because Jonah didn't. He didn't like it. I'm going to tell you right now, here's the whole closing thought. We ought to be thanking God that he forgave these people because he forgave these people. He's the same God that's forgiven us people too. God help us. Amen. I'm just glad that he's forgiven us when we forsake ourselves, turn to him, faith, fast, forsake, and I praise God, I'm glad he forgives. Aren't you glad he forgives? Y'all glad he forgives? I was going to say, I think a lot of you are in unforgiveness tonight. Thank God he forgives. Amen. Ain't he good to give so many blessings? Undeserving. We ought to thank him. We ought to praise him. A little bit more today and a whole lot more tomorrow. Y'all know what I'm quoting there. Ain't God good to give us so many blessings undeserving. That's what we are. We ought to thank him. Love and praise him a little more today. And a whole lot more tomorrow. Boy, y'all are a tough crowd tonight. Let's stand to our feet. Ain't God good? Can I get a witness from this row over here? One, two, three, four, fifth row back. Amen. Got one from the second row from the back. Anybody else like to testify? All right. How many of y'all ready to go home? Bunch of liars. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray you'll help us now. This was a serious message. Lord, when we think about this humble spirit, God, we all, this makes us cringe because we're so full of ourselves. But Lord, you tell us you resist the proud. Give us grace to the humble. And Lord, that's why you forgave these people. That's why you blessed these people. And so I pray that you'll help us to follow suit. Help us to learn from this scripture tonight and apply your truth and your words to our hearts and to our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Ladies, don't forget, sign up for the banquet. Get the tickets. They're available in the back. God bless.